welcome to this link latest podcast. I'm Anna Mitchell, a partner in our antitrust and fund investment group in London. And this is the fourth episode in our funds and financials investors podcast series, in which we're continuing to explore how key recent developments in the competition and foreign investment world impact on funds, private equity and financial sponsored clients. Today, I'm here with my London antitrust colleague, Jenny Willis, and we're also joined by two of our other colleagues, Chris Boycott, a partner in our financial sponsor practice, and Nick Peristarakis, a counsel in our Brussels antitrust and foreign investment team. Today, we're discussing the impact of COVID-19 on private equity M&A, with a particular focus on merger control and foreign investment filing requirements, both in the UK and the EU. So Chris, the outbreak of the pandemic disrupted the entire global economy. Looking at the PE market, what have been the implications on PE deals this year? Hi, Anna. I mean, private equity was certainly not spared the disruption uh, of the early days of the pandemic. Uh, indeed, a lot of deal making was put on hold in the initial months following March 2020, uh, and sponsors were actually spending time with their portfolios managing the impact of COVID 19 as best they could. Um, however, deal activity has rebounded really strongly um, since then. So, second half of 2020, and indeed, um, for the first half of this year has been incredibly busy. Um, the reasons for that are many, um, but include uh, actually a lot of new opportunities presented by um, the post-pandemic economic landscape. Um, we've also seen a huge amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus from governments around Europe and indeed around the world. Uh, when you add to that the continued availability to sponsors of affordable debt financing and the pressure to deploy uh, around 300 billion euros of dry powder in the European private equity space. Um, all of that adds up to significant pressure to continue to do deals um, on a regular basis. And, and do you think this trend in, um, you know, the continued trend of PE deals is going to continue for 2021, despite the increased uncertainty around COVID-19? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen the first half of 2021 that has, has absolutely continued and in, in many respects actually accelerated. Um, and there is no sign at the moment of any slowdown. Um, investors are expected to continue to pursue acquisition targets that have either shown uh, resilience through the pandemic or who have indeed managed to prosper and grow revenues um, and profitability um, over the last 12 months. In particular, I'd highlight the financial services, healthcare and TMT sectors, um, which are very strong at the moment. And you add to that um, particular crisis resilient targets. Um, so for example, the waste management and cybersecurity space is where we're seeing a lot of activity. Um, the other thing that, that we're seeing is sponsors looking for um, new structures and new routes to provide liquidity to businesses um, actually um, other than through traditional buyout opportunities. Some of that is to help those businesses recover from um, the challenge that, challenges they've faced through COVID, um, but also actually to, to allow the relative winners in those spaces to capitalise on growth and consolidation opportunities. And actually, even in sectors where, um, as you would expect, they've been very badly affected by um, the crisis, such as hospitality and travel, um, we still see sponsors looking for opportunities in those areas. Um, 
in particular the the businesses in those sectors that are expected to emerge most strongly and um, become consolidators in those sectors. Thanks, Chris. So with this explosion in deal activity for private equity investors that we're seeing over the last few months, one of the key considerations for investors is always the impact that merge control filings will have on deal timetables. Nick, what recent developments and important issues should sponsors be aware of in the world of merger control at the moment? Hi, Jenny, thank you. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> deal making is much more complex today uh, in Europe than it used to be before, uh, not only because of merger control, but also the emergence of foreign investment regimes, as we'll discuss later. A deal that only a couple of years ago would require no filings now could require several suspensory foreign investment filings, but we will get to that later. On the merger control front, the major development in Europe is Brexit. The CMA now has jurisdiction to investigate mergers that previously fell under the exclusive jurisdiction of the European Commission. The CMA also wants to affirm its position now as a global antitrust agency and is aggressively asserting its jurisdiction over global deals, including deals that have little to do with the UK. In fact, the UK regime is voluntary only in name. Once the CMA asserts jurisdiction, it will automatically impose very strict whole separate orders that prevent any further integration between the companies on a global basis, the merging parties, I mean. So the UK should be at the top of any dealmaker's agenda in Europe together with the Commission and in the PE context, that will be especially the case for Bolton acquisitions that could give rise to competitive overlaps. At the European level, the Commission has found an easy way to expand its jurisdiction to cash acquisitions that would otherwise fall below the radar. The concern here is essentially killer acquisitions, uh, and that so it's not a concern that should apply to all mergers. Um, the, the way the Commission did that was simply by changing their practice in connection with the Article 22 of the EU merger regulation, what used to be called the Dutch Clause, that uh, at the inception of the EU merger regulation enabled uh, member states with no merger control laws in place to refer mergers to the European Commission. Uh, at the time when this change of practice was announced, a few months ago, there was a lot of concern that this will create a lot of uncertainty, but at least based, what, uh, based on what I have seen so far, uh, the Commission only plans to use this for killer acquisition, as we have seen, for example, with a recent Illumina Grail transaction, which was recently being referred by France and several other member states. Now, beyond that development at the national level, despite the uncertain environment and deal-making challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic, national competition enforcers in Europe continue business as usual and actively enforce procedural violations, including misfilings. Thanks, Nick. So yeah, it's clear that merger filings are definitely not something to ignore, but aside from determining where to file, um, sponsors also have to consider how competition authorities are then going to actually review their deals. Nick, has the pandemic impacted the substantive review of deals as well? Uh, thank you, Jenny. Exactly. Knowing where to file is essential, but getting the regulatory clearances on time is just as crucial, if not more crucial. What we see is a trend of enforcers taking longer to review problematic mergers, particularly in COVID-hit sectors. 
but the, the, the pandemic didn't have any material impact on more simple deals or even more complex deals but that are not in uh, COVID hit sectors. For example, several deals have been delayed uh, uh, or even fell apart in COVID hit sectors. Examples include LVMH Tiffany, Essilor Luxotica, uh, which took much longer to clear, uh, Boeing Embraer uh, and Air Canada Transat, which fell apart. In, in all of these cases, this, the delay was driven by the delays in the regulatory approval process, the merger approval process. Um, more generally, the COVID hit sectors, um, as Chris uh, referred to earlier, include the hospitality, transport, aviation. Uh, on the other hand, if you have a merger uh, in a sector like TMT, Koshima Electronics, Semiconductors, or other sectors more generally that are not equally affected by COVID, the merger review should be more smooth. Thanks, Nick. I think it's clear that timing is definitely something that sponsors will have to keep in mind when getting their deals over the line. Another focal point for merger reviews are parties' internal documents. Jenny, Chris, can you tell us a bit about what investors should be mindful of here? Yeah, sure, Anna. So competition enforcers in Europe are increasingly relying on internal documents when they're analysing the effects of a merger. And these internal documents can be used as crucial evidence to show a competition concern. For example, in the European Commission's review of the Dow DuPont merger, it was the adverse statements that was found in the internal documents that eventually resulted in the need for DuPont to divest its global R&D organisation. So they really are very important. I mean, this goes to show just how important uh, the content of internal documents um, is and indeed it can't be overstated. Uh, so sponsors absolutely need to take care um, not to shoot themselves in the foot when preparing internal documentation by including wording that is unhelpful to the merger and foreign investment process. Um, this is especially likely to be relevant when preparing investment committee papers or other similar materials, um, and in particular in the context of bolt-on acquisitions where you may be describing the competitive market conditions surrounding the acquisition and the industrial logic for the transaction. Thanks, Chris. That's really helpful, and I think it's an important point to uh, point out. Um, as, as Nick alluded to previously, merger control clearances aren't the only potential roadblock on the way to closing deals, and foreign investment control has also recently become highly relevant. So, Nick, can you tell us a bit about the policy responses to COVID-19 that we've seen in the foreign investment space? Yes, indeed. Uh, in fact, Anna, the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the protectionist push in Europe and abroad. At the beginning of the pandemic, the Commission was very seriously concerned that undervalued European companies would fall prey to foreign predators, particularly state-owned companies with unlimited resources. The European Commission quickly introduced a new regulation establishing a framework for the screening of foreign direct investments and encouraged member states to adopt uh, foreign investment regimes. More than 16 EU member states currently have active foreign investment regimes. Denmark and Slovakia are just two of uh, recent examples of jurisdictions that expanded or uh, activated, if you want, foreign investment regimes in their jurisdictions. The UK also has adopted the National Security and Investment Act, 
which creates one of the most expansive foreign investment control regimes globally. In particular, the NSI bill, as we call it, creates a new government authority, uh, the National Investment Security Unit, that will catch certain acquisitions and will require mandatory notification for certain transactions, uh, as well as a voluntary uh, notification for others. More specifically, the mandatory regime applies to investments in entities active in 17 specified sectors of national of high national security risk, including energy, transport, defense, communication, and certain technologies. Also, criminal sanctions may be imposed for not complying with this new mandatory regime. Yes, and the adoption of the NSI Act brings the UK in line with other countries that have already enhanced their powers over the last year or so. And foreign investment regimes bring additional complications to private equity deals beyond those per posed by merger control review. Nick, what types of issues should private equity um, investors be aware of um, in terms of the foreign investment review that they might face? Well, Jenny, unlike most merger control regimes, many foreign investment regimes in Europe apply to non-controlling minority investments. Even acquisitions of voting rights, as little as 10% can, can trigger a filing requirement in some of these jurisdictions. In addition, most foreign investment regimes in Europe apply opaque substantive tests focusing on public interest tests. This makes foreign investment reviews typically less predictable than merger control reviews in terms of the outcome and timing. In addition, companies are often required to comply with onerous information requests as part of the foreign investment filing, which typically re uh, requires a disclosure of detailed information on the ownership structure of the acquiring entities, their uh, other investments and financing arrangements, even when the investors are only acquiring a small minority stake in the target. The establishment of the EU enhanced cooperation mechanism between the European Commission member states increases the complexity of, of the review, as under this mechanism, all regulators are now being made aware of the, of the deals notified in other member states in the EU. Thanks, Nick. I think the overall upshot of this, of this conversation is that um, as we're now hopefully coming out of the pandemic, Sponsors should be aware of all of these issues and make sure they're taken into account in deal timetables. Chris, what does this mean overall for deal documentation? So first, I'd say that, as has always been the case, um, you, you need to build flexibility into your timetable and indeed your deal documentation to allow for unforeseen events. Um, and that's even more the case now, um, given the unpredictability of some of the um, regimes that we have discussed. Um, we're also seeing a lot more focus on risk allocation around the conditions. So that includes um, the efforts that a particular purchaser uh, needs to take in order to satisfy the conditions um, and indeed who is giving those commitments. Um, we're also seeing a lot more discussion um, around break fees and reverse break fees. I think the other thing that is important to recognise is that with the longer review periods, it also creates an additional opportunity for buyer's remorse and therefore other conditionality around a deal, even if it is not related to merger control or foreign investment, is receiving additional scrutiny and certainty of, of deliverability of deals continues to be a very important competitive dynamic. Finally, I'd say that longer review periods and therefore longer gap periods 
place um, additional pressure on the pre-closing gap controls that people will be familiar with. Uh, there's a fine line, as everybody knows, between the legitimate protection of the ongoing operations of the business and stepping over that line into um, unlawful gun jumping. And that's something that people need to be very, very wary of. I agree. Thank you. Um, so thanks everyone today for sharing your insights on these developments. It sounds as though PA activity is set to stay high in the coming months. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye out on recent developments that could impact deal making. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today, then please do get in touch with one of us in the antitrust and foreign investment team here at Linklaters or in our financial sponsors team. And until next time, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.